0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: Welcome back. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, you can now become an exclusive supporter. The whole thing takes about 60 seconds. If you're interested, go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2. This podcast is sponsored by RBC, for Canada's on-the-go entrepreneurs. RBC has just launched its latest solution to help make managing and running a business that much easier. Through RBC's remote account open experience, Canadian business owners can now open an RBC deposit account from anywhere at any time, ensuring that you can spend less time on administrative tasks and more on what really matters, growing your business. To open an RBC deposit account remotely or learn more about solutions that go beyond banking to support your business, call your RBC advisor or contact the RBC Advice Center at 1-800-ROYAL-20. In this special episode, we are checking in with Adam Mutchler, who is based in Washington to get his take on what's happening in the U.S. with just under a month to go before the election. Adam is an amazing entrepreneur. He's also a fellow podcaster and a partner at the Kadar Group. He's got a tremendous understanding of how leaders work in high-stakes environments ranging in scope from startups to Fortune 100s to not-for-profits, federal agencies and beyond. He is also my go-to for anything related to U.S. politics, which is top of mind, obviously, with the election just around the corner. Moreover, so much has happened in just 10 short days. The first presidential debate, the New York Times bomb drop related to Trump's federal income taxes, president's COVID-19 diagnosis, the VP debate. We dig into all of these topics today. In addition to discussing Trump's behavior since he tested positive, the critical swing states that are in focus leading up to November 3rd, what outcome increases the probability of major civil unrest, the possibility of state succession, and more. So with that, let's get to the show. Sorry about that long-winded intro. Here is Adam Muchler. What did you think of last night? Did you watch the vice president debate?
0: Uh, yeah. No, I watched. I uh, I watched the whole thing. I anticipated it would be more debate-like, so I was interested in that, and it was. Mm-hmm. Which uh, you know, it to some extent there was like an odd relief in that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But I don't know if the debates are convincing anyone who's not already convinced. I mean, I feel like it's you believe the things that you believe and you're fired up about the people you're fired up about and you're incited, incised, I should say, by the things that the opposition say. So, you know, a little exercise in insanity, watching it for no reason almost. I think where the debates might net positive outcome for either campaign really is getting the people that are just like, I'm not, I wasn't going to vote to vote, I think is more important than than talking about undecided voters it's a bigger number.
1: What is the impact on mail-in voting in this regard? Are most people taking advantage of the option to mail-in vote given the state of the pandemic?
0: So I think that's really interesting. In, in you know, CNN and MSNBC and all the all the news channels are really trying to analyze, you know, what is the impact and what are people doing? And I think the numbers that I saw yesterday were... 50 times more people have voted by mail at this point in the election than the previous presidential election, 50X. Um, That's a huge spike. So five million people have voted by mail. I think that's the most recent count. And I think that, I think it's good. I want as many people to participate in an election as possible. I think that's part of a healthy, functional democracy. And whether people are doing it because they are concerned about exposure or they're doing it because they can't take the day off on election day or take days off at all, or whether they're doing it because the physicality of getting to an election center is complicated. I think that there are a lot of things that we just don't know as far as why people are doing it, more so now than before, beyond the virus, obviously. But I think similar to remote work, voting by mail enables people who have accessibility challenges, scheduling challenges, life to balance, more opportunities to participate. So maybe we're seeing that as well, which would be cool.
1: How many states do not allow for mail-in voting? Most states do, I think. But I think the bigger thing is like some
0: states, like in D.C. D. D.C. is not a state. I live in D.C. But D.C. mails everyone a ballot automatically. You do not have to request it. And that's where a big, that's one of the big sort of contentious things that's happening, um, at least from the Republican side, is there's an argument. That you shouldn't just mail everyone a ballot. You should have to request it. But there are countries I think like in Germany where if you are a certain age and you have you're like registered with the country, you're automatically registered to vote. We don't do that here. There's tons of rules, every state's different, every state has different protocols, and that makes it super complicated. And that's confusing because voting is the cornerstone of
1: democracy, so it should be not complicated. Are you thinking that America won't know the result for Weeks, months, like how long could this period of uncertainty, if it's not a clear victory for either party, how long do you assume it might take until we know who is America's next president?
0: It's highly unlikely that we'll know on election day, unless again, it's an absolute landslide towards the Democratic Party, because the data shows at the moment that majority of mail-in ballots are coming from Democratic voters. And so people who support the Democratic Party, I should say. So unless it's a, it's just like a just total beat down uh, Biden beating Trump on Election Day, I think that this could definitely go on. If it's if it's razor thin win by Biden on Election Day, it'll drag on. If it's a if it's a if it's a thin win from Trump on Election Day, it'll definitely drag on. And I think it'll get very, very murky. I don't know all the mechanisms of our government and constitution, I do think that there are several inflection points in the elect- electoral college in December leading up to January that will force a decision. And I think that's where, the, I think that's where all of the uh, legal energy is gonna go, if there's any ambiguity. But then there's, there's a hard date in January. We have laws in place, we have mechanisms in place to seat a president you know, so we're, we're going to find out, I mean, like November 3rd to January 20th is likely going to be even more tumultuous than the lead up to the election. Unless again, it's just like if Biden wins by 10 million votes and he has like 300 electoral college votes just based on the States that he wins or something like that on election day, Trump is going to say what Trump says and he's going to believe what he believes. And he's going to, Make whatever noise he wants to make, no matter what happens.
1: What outcome do you think creates the most volatility in the stock market post November 3rd?
0: I don't quite know what it is reflective of, if I'm being honest. And, you know, there's been a run up in the market since about mid March, an incredible run, and it doesn't respond to job loss. It doesn't respond to uh, the amount of people that have made deferments on their mortgage payments, um, some of them for months. It doesn't respond to it, it. It had a little hiccup when Trump said that there will no, no longer be any stimulus talks. I think the market closed like one and a half percent down. Uh, I saw a headline that Goldman Sachs said a Democratic sweep would be better for recovery. But I think at the end of the day, the market's going to find a way to make money for the market, right? So if it's a, if it's a thin, if it's a razor thin, you know, maybe we see some volatility in the, at the end of the year, I think the bigger impact, and this doesn't matter who gets elected, consumer spending, we look at consumer spending as a big metric in the United States, you know, where, uh, we're, we're a market-based economy, right? I would be shocked if people spent a ton of money over the holidays. I mean, I know lots of people that have almost no money at this moment, but again, it's it's the market has acted in its sort
1: of own, it's like it's in its own world. Discretionary spending has been way down. Uh, one in five businesses have closed since the beginning of the pandemic in America. There's been emergency stimulus. Uh, the unemployment rate is likely approaching 20%, um, although Trump will sure. say otherwise. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what happens
0: the, the the U.S. market ha, has had an unbelievable run since the crash in 08. Um, and when you look at the stock market performance under different presidents, huge, huge run-up under Clinton, a huge, huge run-up under uh, Obama, bigger than both of the recent and current Republican administrations. So the market has been on a tear. And it you know took a hit from February to March and has had, again, a, a huge recovery if we're looking at the stock market. But things can't go like that forever. And I think the longer it sort of props out beyond a lot of the realities, I think that the, uh, the pullback is likely to be pretty, pretty intense.
1: Man, a lot has happened since we last talked. Yes. Uh, a lot has happened actually in, in just 10 days. We had the first presidential debate, which I want to ask you about, then the New York Times story related to Trump's federal income taxes, uh, his positive COVID-19 diagnosis, um, and all that's happened since then dig into each of these items actually in more detail. But uh, I'll start by asking you, what, what is the mood like just generally in Washington right now?
0: So I think we talked about this last time. There There are two distinct personalities in D.C. There's There's the administration, which changes every four to eight years. And then there are the people of D.C., uh, residents, people that live there. D.C. is a very democratic city. I think they voted Ninety-five percent to ninety-eight percent for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and and so you, you you have you have sort of two personalities, and I think the mood, if we look at the residents of D.C., is a bit frantic. D.C. is also and we might have to double check this. I believe D.C. is forty-six percent. Uh, the forty-six forty-six percent of the residents in D.C. are black, and so there's a lot there's a lot going on in the world in the United States that impacts acutely the black community. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy in DC. There's been, you know, the, the black lives matter plaza was installed by the mayor. There've been regular protests contentious, obviously in June and July and have tapered to more regular peaceful protests. There's been a lot more vigilance around police violence and police activity as far as what, as, far as residents paying attention, but I think the mood is, there's an exhaustion in, in general, you know, there's an exhaustion around what's going on. And, you know, with President Trump's positive COVID test, there was, DC had, I think the the day before, or one of the days around the positive test, that we had 14 new cases reported just in DC, which is really low and, and very impressive. And, you know, with the White House, Situation and the and the super spreader event there. I think there have been more positive COVID tests from in that <laughs> from that event than there were that you know in a day or two around, just in the city. So there's also this just like reminder of the complete disregard you know for for safe practices and 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 how how uh, how dangerous this the virus is.
1: What do you make of the president's behavior since his. Diagnosis. His return to the White House, where he ripped off the mask. Uh, now his, you know, recent return to the Oval Office, despite the White House being a new hotspot, as you point out, and also in addition to these recommendations by doctors to remain in his residence. Um, what do you make of his behavior?
0: I think that it is really spot on. This is the pattern, and so there's also been a huge pattern of disregard for other humans at any level, in any, in any circle, right? So, you know, the way he's treated, uh, and I, I don't want to get into super details because I don't know all the details, but even the way he's treated people like Ted Cruz, you know, who's in his party, the way he's treated other people in his party, you know, it's, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about other people. He doesn't care about their safety, their health, their, their, their emotions, their well being. He doesn't care. And so it's not surprising that he is doing the things that he does. I think what some people will will notice and what some people will pay attention to is that he is behaving in a way that shows such an immense lack of care or respect for people that are serving him directly, uh, and that is a totally different world. So putting putting Secret Service members' lives at risk is an unbelievable offense to what people do when they're in service to other people, those people are in the car to protect him and he's in the car putting them at risk. Yeah. Um, and there was a new story in NPR and I know other people have talked about this. There's a staff at the White House and a lot of people don't know this. There's, there's a staff at the White House that serves their federal employees. They make not the best money. They don't get paid. They're not getting paid six figures. But they've been working at the White House for decades and they serve, at the, they serve the president, whoever the president is, the butlers, the housekeepers, and complete disregard for their health and safety. And most of them are in high-risk demographics. They've been serving for years, decades. They're older, you know, and they're they in the room with the president and his family. They are providing them a lot of services that you might expect at a hotel or even a private residence of someone who's very wealthy and it's a complete disregard for those individuals let alone the staff that he put in place and a, the people that he appoints and elected officials and all the pe- all the other people you know and so i think i do think that there are and maybe this is me being hopeful that there are people who see that and and look at that and and question his decency but a lot of people including medical professionals talk about some of the some of the treatments he's been given and question one's ability to make sound decisions when undergoing those treatments. Such as? Just in general, I mean, like taking steroids, taking things like Regeneron, there's a lot of questions around what's the impact on your ability to think clearly and think, and and, then just keep a sort of like, keep your head on your shoulders. I think the challenge is that Trump is such an erratic individual, it's hard to identify what is normal and what is not.
1: To me, it's not surprising and it's really, um to be expected from somebody who thinks the way he does, uh it's not about convalescence or recovery, it's about soldiering on. yeah, uh, do you think that that's what his base wants to see? Is that why he's behaving the way he's behaving? um do you think he's do you think that his advisors are telling him to do this, or do you think that these are sort of personal decisions that are coming from him and him only?
0: I mean it's impossible <laughs> it's impossible to know. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's hard to say whether he takes advice or not from anyone. I think it, he has he a very, very, very small circle of people that he listens to or in, influence him, uh, and it's it's just hard to say. I think, and this is an interesting perspective, and not a lot of people talk about this because I don't know if a lot of people feel this way, but I mean, he's a. I feel that he is a deeply damaged and deeply sort of sad human. And he he acts in ways that indicate that to me and that show that he is I mean he's he's scared. And the other day I got this when he ended the when he said he's not talking about he's no longer talking about stimulus um uh support, the impression that I got was this is someone who feels like he's going down and he is just ready to break everything. He's like, If I'm going down, you're going down with me, is the is the vibe and the energy I'm getting. And it that's where we are.
1: You know, you mentioned his lack of, of respect for others uh, in, in the context of obviously the security detail situation in the car. Um, but to me, watching the first presidential debate with Biden was shocking in this sense. And the reason I say that is because, you know, it's obvious to everybody that he has a disdain or a dislike for Biden. That's That was to be expected. But more shocking, I thought more disrespectful was his complete disdain for, you know, the moderator or complete lack of respect for the moderator and also a complete lack of respect for the audience uh, that was present. And therefore, by extension, the uh, broader audience, which is everybody in America that was watching the debate. And by him constantly uh, berating Biden during his two minutes and interrupting. This is a complete lack of respect for Americans who deserve to hear from both sides. Uh, but the consensus was that it wasn't a debate, and
0: that it—I mean—it was juvenile uh, in a lot of ways, and it—it it was. I think that I think the respect issue is huge, you know, and I think that we're seeing that. And I, the where we are now, and this is obviously. You know, just my perspective and personal opinion is we're we're we are witnessing someone behave in ways that have always gotten them what they want, but in very different contexts uh, and in a very different reality. And this just goes back to what the Maya Angelou quote: "You know, he's showing us who he is." And he has year over year, he did on the campaign trail. You know, the question is, will people do people? Feel that their vote matters, and are they able to will themselves to vote and not be deterred and not be discouraged and trust that if they show up and other people show up, the things can change. But yeah, you're right. I mean, complete disrespect. To be fair, you know, Biden got pulled in to to that behavior a little bit. It, you know, you you have to ask yourself, how do I keep up? How do I how do I get a word in edgewise? You know, and they are. There's definitely a contrast to the rising generations in the United States and two old, over 70-year-old, no offense to anyone who's over 70, but you're older than most of the people in the country, you know, two over 70-year-old men barking at each other. That's
1: exhausting. Let me ask you about the most important or significant states in this election. I was doing some digging into the data uh, in preparation for this interview And one stat really stood out to me. It was around uh, the state of Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. um, being the most critical out of any state in this election. And the data suggested that if Trump takes Pennsylvania, he has an 84% chance of winning the election. If Biden takes Pennsylvania, he has a 94% chance of winning this election, all to say Pennsylvania is a very, very critical swing state here. What is your, you know, what is your take on 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 that piece of insight? Do you agree with it? Do you not? Are there other states that are significant here?
0: It's really hard to say. I think, and I, I have to look this up because I'm curious. But I think Pennsylvania went, yeah, Pennsylvania went Obama, uh, and then it went Trump. And it really comes down to who shows up and. Who are the, who are the, uh, who are the campaigns connecting with and reaching? And so, I mean, if you, if you have the stomach and you, you don't have a weak heart, just watch CNN uh, any day of the week for the next month, a little under a month, and they will be more than happy to tell you how they see this playing out. There's a lot of paths to the electoral win. I think what that means, 84% chance for Trump, for Trump to win if he gets Pennsylvania in 90 For If Biden, there's a little bit more of a lean right now in the country towards Biden, but 20 electoral college votes in Pennsylvania is, is not the 29 from New York or the 38 from Texas or the 55 from California or the 29 in Florida.
1: What outcome do you think increases the possibility of major civil unrest here? And are you thinking about that? as November 3rd approaches?
0: Oof. um, I mean, ambiguity, for sure. So if it's not a clear win or loss to either side, um, we have a problem. Uh, I think if it's, you know, it kind of has to be a mandate in either direction um, for it to be, for there to be as little unrest as humanly possible. I think that that's, that's the big thing. So Trump needs to absolutely annihilate on election day because the mail in mail in votes will get counted and will continue to get counted and that if he if he wins by a little bit that margin will close and if he wins by a very small amount it he, it might go the other direction um so he really needs to like dominate on election day I think for there to be little question although the democrats will still insist that every mail in ballot is counted which is how it should be um, to see, because millions, literally millions of people have voted, and elections are decided by less than 3 million. Sometimes you win by 3 million and you still lose. So it's really going to depend. Biden has to dominate on election day to be able to, with authority, quiet any questions about the validity of the election and to, with authority and with respect, respond to whatever unrest might unfold.
1: Do you think there is any chance of a California state secession if Trump wins?
0: I would find that highly unlikely, Um, despite their outsized impact on the economy and agriculture. And California and Texas are are leaders um, in—I know you asked about California, but I'm bringing up Texas. They're leaders in— in our uh, academic system, because of their their the size of their school systems, both like K K through college, I would be shocked. But I do think that we are living in a time where things things are different and things are happening. And I think individuals and communities and large populations are thinking about the world differently. You know, I you and I both work a lot in the innovation space and in the business world. Even though both of our conversations have been quite political and societal, uh, for your show, but you know, things, things change, things evolve and it's a, it's a form of growth. And so it'll be hard to say, I I would be, I would be surprised, you know, a lot of, a lot of people go to California for school. A lot of people work in California because their companies are there. More people are working remotely. Our, our workforce is completely shifting. You know, the expense of being in California is shifting. What happens when people leave? What happens if they don't, California has a lot of problems, uh, as far as you know their wealth gap is concerned, and so if if even though they are very progressive, if they don't successfully address those, they rely on a lot of other elements of the the structure of the United States to to thrive you know so my gut says that is a very unlikely scenario. however, I think with another trump pre- presidency, everything comes becomes exponentially more unpredictable, which is hard to imagine
1: economically, it would be feasible so just look at some stats here uh California has a $3.2 trillion dollar economy, which, or the GDP is, is $3.2 trillion. Uh If it were a sovereign nation, it would rank it as the world's fifth largest economy, Yeah, which is just ahead of India, but slightly behind Germany. So in the context of whether or not that state could afford to secede, I mean, it's fairly obvious that For sure. um, it, it could do so. I don't know anything about the constitution um, as it relates to this, so I, I don't know. But... Um, there is a little bit of talk of this. Oh, yeah, uh, on sure. the flip side, I've heard rumors about Texas doing the same um, if if there's a Biden victory. But as you point out, uh, Texas is not leaning overwhelmingly red uh, this election the way it, it did in the past.
0: Yeah, it would it would be challenging, and I think and I think we experience this every day in in all of our municipalities and states and countries. It's more complicated than the economy. <laughs> you know, it's 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 more it's more complicated than the economics of it. And so I think those are factors that, that leaders have to weigh in and that, that voters would, would weigh in as well. Right. How many people in California don't want to live in technically a different country than someone that they care about? The answer is probably very high. Um, same with Texas, you know, and how many people don't want to think about like an actual border. I know that there are borders between states, but like an actual sovereign border. Uh, and I think enough people would, uh, would not be interested in that. But it, again, it's it's really, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, we can look at other parts of the world where borders have changed, right? In, in the last 100 years, in the last 50 years. I mean, even in the last 20 years, you know, there are borders that still change. And so, I, I've definitely found myself in a place where there are a few things that would be surprising
1: The next presidential debate is scheduled for October 15th, which is one week away. We're recording on October 8th, 2020 today. And Trump is now saying that he refuses to participate in the debate if it's virtual. Mm. What do you make of all this? And do you think he gets away with this?
0: Yeah. After the first debate, almost everyone was saying, is there a point in having any other debates if the debate is going to be like, if all future debates are like this? That was COVID, no COVID, virtual, not virtual. People are like, what's the point? Um, and so that's the first thing. So I, I think it's totally plausible that there won't be a debate or there won't be future debates. For the, re- the reason why is TBD. And I, don't, I am not getting the impression that Trump is trying to convince anyone to vote for him. Like he just wants the people that like him to vote for him and he doesn't care about anything else or anyone else. You know, People talk about his base a lot. You've brought up his base in this conversation. And so if he doesn't think it's gonna impact his base, He'll do whatever he wants, and so not showing up for debate. I, you know, I do think that let's say the debate commission's like, oh, you know what? Actually, it's going to be in person. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Biden campaign said, "We're not going to do that if we don't have substantial evidence that the president or substantial protections between Biden and the president um, isn't doesn't have COVID." You know, and so it's going to be an interesting seven days, uh, one week. <laughs> Um, but I, I, yeah, if Trump says I'm not showing up cause it's virtual and wants to hold a rally, he'll do that and he'll feel very good about the five to 20,000 people that show up and respond to everything he says and he'll get exactly what he wants, which is, you know, acknowledgements, affirmation, you know, emotional support, all of those things.
1: I really appreciate your perspective on what's going on in Washington, uh, what's going on in the U S more broadly. And uh you always uh, give give me something to think about, yeah, man. so I appreciate the time and thank you for doing it uh and we will probably check in with you, let's say either closer to November third <laughs> or or just just afterward, yeah, and then we'll um, talk and we'll do this again <laughs> exactly <laughs> and we'll, when there's a vaccine, hopefully exactly um okay, man, all the best thanks uh wishing you a a safe and happy and healthy month thanks. and you uh, too we'll check in soon.